UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Sometimes it gets, gets a little annoying. To be Are honest. you okay, though? Ah, I wasn't going to break up, but. I, I can't hear you, Robert. Hey. Oh, hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a really good friend with me today, someone who, when I, back when I first started my show, he was one of my guests, and he's always pushing the boundaries as far as like, you know, what's real and the real truth and ufology, along with his brother, and who I'm talking about is Philip Kinsella, and he has a twin brother named Ronnie Kinsella, and they're very active in ufology, like I said, they they kind of really push for what what the truth is out there. They don't get lost in all the fairy dust and stuff like that, if, if that makes any sense. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is his new book called Sky Crash, uh, talking about the Rendlesham Forest crash and um, and and just uh, his UFO and alien encounters in general and um, and his his journey in ufology. And uh, with all that said, I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Uh, Philip, thank you for coming back on. How are you? Thank you very much, Robert, for having me back on again. It's an honor, sir. You're a good friend and a, a wonderful host. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I figured um, since I have a lot of new audience members now, like I, I figured maybe you could tell the audience about yourself, like how you kind of got involved in ufology and what led you up to this point of writing this book. Yeah, well, I, I didn't really want anything to do with ufology. It was only because of the onslaught of what people term an alien abduction back in the winter of 1989 that uh, prompted my uh, investigations into the phenomena because I wanted to find out if there was some reality to it. I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't real, but the two aspects to the phenomena that occurred on a physical and non-physical level of integration. This led me then into some theoret theoretical dynamics with regards to consciousness and also the phenomena phenomena at large that we're still trying to pinpoint and work out what it is. Um, so I have been up close and personal with UFOs on, on a num number, numerous, numerous occasions, sorry. And, um, and then, you know, with regards to Skycrash, which we're here talking about, another one of the books that I co-authored with the, one of the original investigators that deals with um, the Rendlesham UFO events of 1980, in the winter of 1980, where um, here in England, in Suffolk, there is a military or was a military base it's still there but it's decommissioned um, part of it was for the americans and part for the british units and of course colonel charles holt and his men along with jim peniston sergeant jim peniston and john burroughs were also um, witnesses to some unusual activity that occurred within the perimeter of the base and in the, in the forest with what they call ufo activity now i remembered when i was a kid um, growing up, reading on the front pages of the national newspapers when this story broke out um, about, you know, the military, American military here in England witnessing some kind of UFO. And they did state at the time some kind of alien activity, but I'm not sure that alien, ac alien activity did occur during that period, depending on what narrative you're, you want to believe. But I've met Colonel Charles Holt. Um, we had dinner with him um, through David Young, who organized a conference. He's a, Colonel Charles Holt is an esteemed gentleman. He's very much aware of his faculties, and he'll tell you it as it was. And um, so going back to when I was a kid reading this in the national newspapers, um, through the onslaught of what I had experienced back in 1989, I belonged to a UFO group. 
and met some people. And I met some Americans and they came over to England and they suggested, you know, we had to go to um, Rendlesham. We had to go and see for ourselves. There was still some strange activity occurring there. And that's precisely what I did, along with uh, my identical twin brother and good friend, Susan O'Connor. Um, she's married now. Uh, she used to be Susan Gamble. <laughs> and we were known as the Scooby-Doo team. And we'd gone into the forest. And let me tell you, there was at that point, um, leading into the 1990s and the 10 years of research that we did, a lot of unusual and high activity. I never would have believed in my life. And I think with all of us, Robert, with you and many other brilliant um, you know, researchers, UFO researchers, paranormal investigators, uh, there is a kind of like um, synchronicity that connects, I think, within our lives. Because when I was there in the forest, I didn't know too much about Brenda Butler or where she was in the world. I knew that Brenda Butler, Dot Street and Jenny Randalls, British ufologist Jenny Randalls, that is, um, had co-authored a book back in 1984 that was published by Neville Spearman called Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy, that they had tried to blow the lid open with regards to the Rendlesham case. And then, of course, years later, finding out that, um, you know, I would then meet Brenda Butler in the very forest and end up co-authoring a book about Sky Crash throughout time, which was more or less an investigation of the UFO phenomena and strange activity long before the 1980 event and then long afterwards. Um, so that is primarily how I got uh, mixed up with that. And, um, but I have to tell you that Brenda Butler is a very grounded, wonderful researcher. She's a no-nonsense lady, and she is basically the guardian of that forest. She knew the American troops long before the 1980 event occurred with UFOs that the military had seen. So it was an honor to work with her and, um, and also have access to most of her research material. And let me tell you, some of that research material was absolutely phenomenal. Well, yeah, this is interesting. What I was going to say, Philip, is I feel like I've said this in other shows. I feel like there's kind of a concerted effort to kind of brush alien abductions or alien contact under the rug, like everything that happened in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And even now people are having experiences, but something's going on. It's weird because the government kind of wants to admit that there's UFOs, but like when it gets to the point of the experience or they don't want to believe it, they almost want to make people think like, oh, that never happened. It's crazy. It's taboo. It's uh, I, well, I'm trying to prove that it did happen and it was happening to people and it's very real and it never went into anywhere. And, and, and it, I mean, what do you feel about like that, what I just said? Yes, well, I mean, our research has been uh, connected with my research, especially with regards to the abduction phenomena. I will boast a little. I have a new book coming out in February of next year called Terrestrial Trespassers, which deals with the Grey's abductions and areas of high strangeness. Now, with regards to the abduction phenomena, especially with UAP or, you know, UFO sightings, UAP is the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, just a new acronym to change it to a more scientific label. But the, it's still the same. Now, what's interesting is that the system that we serve will do everything within its uh, powers to dismiss the subject matter because we have all ostensibly been programmed since birth. And this links with consciousness of how we view our world. Anything which is... Uh, can't be proven, must not exist. And we do know that within the annals of UFO investigations with regards to research, that the system that we serve has always poo-pooed it. When I mean the system, I mean those nameless, faceless bureaucrats that control from above that we don't see or hear about, but are actually pulling the strings to all those on the lower end of our spectrum, namely the media cartel. Now, what's interesting is that for decades, this system has told all of us that we're delusional, that we're liars, there's no such thing as UFOs. And I think that the multi-complexed um, aspects to the phenomena is something that the system, if they do know anything about it, I'm sure they do know a little bit more than what we do, obviously through furnishing their information and gathering it from other researchers around the world through all those decades, and as well as their scientific and military core units, which have, have, have been studying the phenomena, they will find it very difficult to address this to the public. Because when UFO activity occurs, in terms of what we call an abduction, there is a shift 
within the uh, connection between the object that's seen and also the connection with consciousness with the individual going through it. So we may be dealing with specters or intelligences or forces that are able to override our sense of reality. And I have mentioned this before in my research. I think that the nuts and bolts aspect of this phenomena is something that we have to now look beyond because for so many decades we were believing that, oh, they're physically structured crafts. Well, of course they are. But when we start looking into the interdimensional hypothesis, this changes everything. So I think on certain levels, there are uh, categories that need to be looked at. One, you know, is this force or intelligence good? Okay, now I know you have a lot of people telling you that, well, they are good and they're here to help us. Well, where's the help? Where is it? And when an abduction occurs, normally, in a vast majority of cases, there is this uh, screen memory or the deliberate attempt to, you know, remove any knowledge of their existence from the abductee. Um, and if there is any information, it's normally mixed up. So, you know, they may protect, be protecting themselves. I mean, the forces behind it or that, you know, the system that we serve is well aware of this, but not wanting to address this to the public. So I think now the other thing very quickly here, which was very interesting that I found, I think a lot of other researchers found this as well. Do you remember just recently about these balloons that were compromising American airspace and they were shot down? And then, of course, another object that came down. Now, I'm not saying that those balloons were, were UFOs, but what happened for the first time that most researchers were shocked about was that the national television news was stating that they had shot down two UFOs. Two UFOs. Okay, now most people's idea of a UFO is a spacecraft from another planet. At least that's the, uh, the simple uh, analogy of it. But it seemed very strange that all of a sudden the media were admitting UFOs, which are actually UAPs. Um, so I believe that there is an agenda. I believe that the system we serve knows about them. And, and also are at pains to acknowledge this to an already programmed and docile public. So I think that's where the problem lies, because I think most people will not be able to understand or accept. You will, of course, and many other researchers around the world, hundreds, maybe thousands of them, I think, you know, um, researchers, uh, people who have experienced this phenomena, they will understand to a degree, but a lot of the public will not. And I think statistically, through a lot of um, incidents that have occurred that we're not going to name here, um, you know, petrol shortage, water shortage, food shortage, other things that we cannot mention on here. Look what happens with the public, you know? So a simple thing like that. So I think and feel that disclosure, I don't think is going to come anytime soon. I think that there's a, there's a program of denial once again, because we were so near to having some kind of hope that uh, when the Pentagon released its files and its investigation with regards to UFO activity, we were all, you know, hoping to hell that we'd be given some new information, but nothing new came. Yeah, I know. Do you think that they, but do you think like, that they're trying to brush the, exp the experience of the experiencer under the rug, so to say? Or do you think that they're, 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 they're making a concerted effort to like push that away? Or do you feel like that the, the experiencer will be accepted in the mainstream in the near future? Well, this is the difficulty with UFOs or UAPs phenomena. They have been filmed um, and they have been caught on radar and cameras. We cannot denounce that reality. The difficulty is for the system that I believe to tell people that, you know, someone's been abducted. And of course, it's rather like someone going through an NDE or near-death experience, their, their experience is very different from someone else's, although there are certain key patterns that we can connect to say, yes, they have had that experience. It was real. They actually left their body. They crossed over to what we call the other side. The same with abduction phenomena. There is a lot of patterns that are connected where we can connect certain dots and say, yes, they. it sounds to me like they've been abducted. But because the abduction phenomena occurs on an altogether different level of reality, of our understanding of reality, something that we can't touch or we can't see. This is where the problem lies. But I do believe and feel that the system that we serve or those governing bodies behind most of this, and they are there, they are fully aware of this abduction program. And I think this is something that um, they are not willing to address. So we then have to ask the question as to whether the system is working 
claw in hand with these forces, whether or not there is some kind of agreement between the two, and that agreement has gone sour, or that this phenomena is operating on its own laws and own rules and is disregarding what our system thinks. And this is why the system is trying to cover the whole thing over. So there are two possibilities, but I do believe that what's really difficult is ascertaining what is fact and what is fiction. And this is where it becomes muddy within the world of ufology, because someone can just claim just about anything with regards to their trips in the astral planes or battling reptilians off world or the Galactic Federation, whatever. There is no way that we can kind of contain that information and use it to progress forward in understanding this phenomena. So this is where primarily, this is why I think primarily the reasons why there is a lot of the system wants to push this under the carpet, because it gets too messy. Um, so it's like anything. If it's kind of contained to a degree, then we can understand that. But I think because of the, the vastness of this phenomena, we lose it. And I have to say here as well, what's interesting is that my argument has always been, where are the aliens? Where are they? Where are, let's take another example, cryptozoology. What has that got to do with ufology? Well, there may be parallels to that. Where are the dogmen? Where are the Sasquatch? Where are these beings? Where are they hanging out? So, you know, what's interesting is that this phenomena, this force, this intelligence is smart. <laughs> Very smart. It is. And, 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 it, and it seems to have us on the edge of our seats. And when we think we finally got somewhere, if that somewhere is somewhere to be gotten, it seems to move or it seems to transgress. Um, so this, is, I think, is where, where we have certain problems. But, of course... You know, as researchers ourselves, you know, I don't have any answers. All we have is theoretical content, um, like many others. I mean, I've had some people telling me what they are, where they come from, why they're here. Well, that's all good and that's all well and good. But I am still scratching my heads. But I, as I said, we do have theoretical models, constructs that we can use that, that, I, that we're trying to build to connect certain dots with other areas. It is a most fascinating subject and does come with huge levels of high strangeness that seems to alter our own perception of reality. And this is why I think when in terms of what they call an abduction, <coughs> excuse me, where the person cannot recall most of the finer details of that experience is because they themselves have been taken out of their normal time locale, as it were. And of course, as human biological beings, we are in a time-space uh, universe, and we record everything in this space. So if some, some of us are removed from that space, it's possible that most of the memories become uh, contrived or all mixed up. Um, you know, it's rather like sleep when you go to sleep. Sometimes you'll remember your dreams, sometimes you won't. Uh, depends how deep you've gone or what level that you've reached within the sleep state. So, you know, with regards to the UFO phenomena and going back to your question about whether or not the system wants to just completely disregard the abduction phenomena, yes, I think most of them are more interested in the UFOs themselves than rather what the occupants are doing or where they come from or why there are so many different species of them. So, you know, I am, one person said to me once, I am very open to all forms of speculation. I will not denounce anything. But one person told me that, you know, basically you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, that they, they had all the answers. Well, congratulations and well done. But, um, you know, I think that um, our understanding is still as complex as, uh, as we started out within the phenomena research itself. <laughs> Yeah, because these people that are saying they have all the answers, they don't have no. any proof. They're just saying that they've they've seen aliens and this and that. And like, and I I feel like that's great. Like I believe them, but like it's it's um this phenomena is elusive. It's very elusive. I oh, yeah. kind of said that. Like it doesn't it doesn't want to present itself in a way. It almost like it almost feels like in a way it could be like for consciousness expansion because it makes people think. It makes people think outside their normal thinking, right? But yes. then at the same time, it's it's disruptive, it's abrasive, it gets into people's lives, it takes people at three o'clock in the morning when they're, you know, sleeping and, and, and people don't want to be taken, you know what I mean? But then some people say they have a transformative uh, spiritual moment out of that, which I don't understand still, but I mean... Uh, yeah, 
I think with regards to that, what happens, that happened to me as well. I'm not here with all love and light and, you know, floating around. It did happen to me after the experience, my 1989 experience with the, the abduction, which was horrifying. And I think that for anyone going through a traumatic event, let's say, for instance, a car, a car accident where they survive it, um, or any, any, any terrible thing that happens, you know, some kind of world catastrophe or something, after a while, you are changed, I think, because you've survived the journey. And it also gives you a larger perspective of that there is much more linked with reality because you've you've come through something that most people have never experienced before. And of course, this changes the individual, um, you know, and, uh, and I think also with regards to the abduction phenomena, going back to that, you'll find this with a lot of people that although they have had ne negative experiences, it doesn't mean to say that the beings themselves have enforced this change within the individual. I think the individual has changed themselves because they realize at that point that there is a lot more to our reality than what we've been sold in terms of media and education. And there could be a temporal shift within the way that the consciousness works, like something's been opened. Certainly for me, um, if I use the word psychic factor opened, but we're all psychic. The human brain is a transmitter and receiver. There's no big deal about it. Consciousness works in a limited flow of awareness and it records and sends out rather like a mobile phone network system, giving a very simplified example of that. My research has kind of like looked into the fact that this phenomena that may operate on varied levels of interdimensional reality could somehow infiltrate that connection link with our consciousness and work through us that way. But it has to come into our main frame of reality on some level. And this is what this is why I've been working towards the, uh, you know, on th uh, certain theoretical models with regards to how that can happen. For instance, you know, if you take an example of someone who has had an experience where they have crossed over, where they have died and they, they report crossing over, to them, in that new state, that world is more real than the one they left behind. And I might point out here as well that if their body that's been left behind is severely disrupted through disease or whatever, when the person or the soul or consciousness of the individual returns back to the body, there sometimes is a change within the molecular structure as though the cells within the body recorrect themselves. What's interesting that I found is that in an abduction, you know, when someone is taken into the gray's airspace or wherever they are in their timeless domain, that there's still a connection between the body and the consciousness of the individual, the same with an NDE. So anything they do to that or is done to that will affect its physical counterpart because they're not completely separated. So most people scratch their heads and think, oh, you know, what is he talking about? Well, the signals to your mobile phone network system, they are the phone. Your phone, the physical hardware is merely the, <laughs> the receiver. <laughs> the real information is what's going through the signaling. So if anything should happen to your modulator, the physical hardware... The, the signal will still be pure. So I think now we are forced to look outside of the nuts and bolts aspect of ufology and start looking to, into other areas of consciousness, which are just as real as, as this world here, but operating on buried frequencies of awareness. And that reality is able to interconnect with us and link with it temporarily to make that connection before it disables and removes itself away from us. So I think it's very interesting, isn't it? That is, that is. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, uh, I mean, because I know you're coming out with a new book in February. Before we get into Sky Crash, because I want to get into Sky Crash, but you've been doing some work with Pierre Sabak, who I really respect his work as oh, well. Yes. He's a, you, you've been doing some work with him on your abduction experience. Can you talk about what you guys, um, yes. what you guys did? Well, Pierre Sabak is a great friend, a brilliant researcher, I have to say here. And, and the author of some incredible books. Now, when I had my abduction back in 1989, there were two parts to the phenomenon. I'm not going into detail here, but I'll tell you one part of it. Before this being came through the door that looked like a gray, but all dressed in black, clad in black, my brother had gone into a trance. He was in the kitchen with me, facing me. So he, wouldn't, he didn't have his view out to the hall because there's a wall there. And I had full view to the hall with the door open. 
But he froze and he lifted his head up to the ceiling and he said, there's going to be an earthquake or grandma's going to die. This is before everything started kicking off. Now, there was no earthquake and our maternal grandmother was still very much alive at that point. Now, at the end of my abduction phenomena, there was this grey in this kind of like one tight-fitting suit, one-piece khaki uniform, as it were, with knee-length boots and a pointed hat. It looked quite smart how it was configured, but he looked like a grey, but, uh, you know, I could still see him. But at the end of the experience, he lifted his head up to the underside of his craft. And uh, when I asked him, how the hell am I able to get through locked and bolted doors, solid matter? How is that possible? Or worse to that effect? And he wouldn't answer it. And then when he froze, he started to come out with all this garble. Now, Pierre Sebac found, and this is why I say to good folk out there, if you've had an experience be honest keep everything as you remember it don't add or subtract keep it as it is he's found a connection between what my brother was doing and what the gray was doing the gray was mimicking my brother because my brother came out with nonsensical words and the same with the gray that was doing the same thing so this shows us that there is some kind of it's an ancient force, and I think that we're not just dealing with our level of reality through our locale of time that we understand from morning, noon, and night through to one month to the year and so on. I think this phenomena can come in from its realm and integrate with our realm. So he, ha he has almost finished, I think, the report that he's done, although I wanted it in the new book. It's going to have to go into another book later on. I'm working on a new book for another publisher. Um, he, that report's going to go in there. And it, and I think it's quite, I haven't seen the report yet, but it, he's, he's actually said that there is an important aspect to what happened there that may unlock a little bit more to the phenomena at hand. So we'll wait and see. But yes, he's a great guy, an amazing researcher. And I think that it's not just a case of being abducted um, by grey aliens. I think that there is a lot more involved with this that I think that would astound us completely if we, we knew all of the mechanics of what was really going on behind the scenes. Now, you'll get some people that will say to you, well, they're us from the future. Fine, it could be. Or that they are AI technology. Okay, I understand that. But I think... My understanding is that we're dealing with an intelligence that's far more evolved than that, far older than that, as it were. Do you do you feel that the uh, phenomena can change faces at times? Like, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that say that they're that the aliens could be demons, and but I, I don't really think that's true. But I do think maybe I think Brian Allen said this before. He said he did in in his book with Barry Fitzgerald. They thought that maybe we're dealing with a phenomena. And this does go back to the fae, like the fairies, that they, 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 these aliens can be tricksters and that they could put different masks on, show you different, show you different um, variables. Uh, yeah. of, 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 and why do you think they would do that if you had any idea or if you had to speculate? Well, I I find that very interesting, and I have met Barry. He is in a, he's a wonderful guy and another brilliant researcher, and I think he's on to his, uh, his own research with regards to that. We have to also be open to folklore as well, because my understanding, and I'm, I, I can't be too detailed about this, is that, um, you know, our human mind creates things. We create everything around us that's, that's around us here now. I'm not saying that the phenomena is our creation, that we've molded it, that we've manifested it. But I think there is a lot to say about our folklore and how the phenomena has morphed throughout the decades. This is interesting. But the question begs, are we dealing with one force, one intelligence, which is puppeteering all of these phenomena? I don't believe that. But what's also very difficult to understand is the multi-complex nature of the reality of this, where you have not just UFOs and aliens of all shapes and sizes, but also things like Dogman and Sasquatch, you know, and, and all, the, all of these weird creatures, bizarre manifestations of where they're coming from. So, you know, I know and I feel that in my heart, um, you know, that the phenomena is real. It has substance. It has form. It can uh, create itself within our reality. But, you know, in answer to that, I won't denounce that. I think that if we blame it all on the jinn, as it's known, or the uh, the evil or the devil, I think that's, that's, that's a little bit of a cop-out because I think and feel that there is far more complexity to the phenomena at hand 
which may suggest that we're dealing with more than just one force here, that there may, may be a multitude of them that's operating on varied levels of human consciousness or their interaction with us on some level. But it is interesting. I'm very interested in the fae. I'm very interested in folklore. And that has always fascinated me. Um, and that's another area that I think we should keep open as a form of speculation. Um, but the phenomena does uh, seem to advance. It seems to evolve and mold itself accordingly. I mean, if you go back um, to the uh, 18, late 1800s, you had the airships. And then, of course, we had the ghost rockets, then the flying saucers, then the flying triangles. And the abduction phenomena back in the 40s and 50s, or late 40s going into the 50s, was done on a very physical level of integration. And if we go now, we certainly back uh, into the 80s um, and into the 90s, the phenomena had morphed. It seemed to, to get to the stage where people were being taken up as opposed to having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the occupants. Um, they were being taken away and through buildings, through doors, walls, windows, whatever. So I think and feel that this intelligence is always one step ahead of us on some level. Uh, and certainly in terms of its technological advancement, if we can call it technology, uh, we have to be very careful because it could be that these beings use their mind to mold and create their reality instantly around them. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a species that have to use our hands and the materials to build, even though we have the images within our mind of what we see. So I think and feel we have to be open to all forms of speculation. So nothing can be discounted with regards to that. But I, I do feel that it is somehow deeper and far more complex than, um, than what, we, what we've been led to believe. I, I agree. I, I agree. Um, now, uh, regarding Sky Crash, the, the new book the new book is called Sky Crash uh, Throughout Time, but it's a follow-up to uh, Neville Spearman's book, Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy. Um, how did you get involved with this? How did you get involved with Brenda Butler, your co-author? Why Rendlesham? I know it's good to look at these cases, but I'd love to hear what you think about it and what got you involved in this project. Yes, was I, well, as I said, I belong to a UFO group and I met a, a wonderful ufologist from America, good friend, good dear friend now. And um, he suggested us to, that we go to the forest and investigate. And that's what we did. And um, subsequent to that, we performed an experiment, uh, me, Ronnie, and Susan, a psychic experiment. Would you believe that? Yes, a psychic. And it, the, the, the idea came from the song from Karen Carpenter's Calling Occupants, the wonderful and uh, amazing Karen Carpenter from the Carpenters, her song called, and I thought, is that possible? So we tried the experiment at home a week before we went out to the frost on the 8th of June, 1998. And on the 8th of June, 1998, we went to the forest and we sat down under a full moon and meditated again. And it was roughly around about quarter past 10 at night when there was this amazing, um, appearance of what we would call a ufo it was shaped like a pyramid with a gap and a circular undercarriage to it it was above these trees it was glowing one part of the top was moving one way the bottom part with the blue banks was moving the other there was no sound and i started to run towards it i mean there was a little bit of a build-up before this occurred um and then it went out like that when i started running towards it and got under it and then of course it just went out like a light and someone said to me oh it's because it's military holographic technology i thought rubbish why would the military waste all that time and resources on three relatively unimportant people anyway yeah. it was there that, that it was there that i got out the car one day not knowing where brenda butler was in the world because we come from bedford it's a two-hour drive from bedford to suffolk and I said, I'd really like to meet her on that night. We did meet this lady who was Brenda Butler. And then we formed this connection. And um, and then she told me a lot about the experiences that occurred long before and after the initial uh, 1980 event at Rendlesham with the military, US military. And let me tell you also, for your listeners out there and viewers out there, you're, you're good people, um, you know, armchair people who criticize. When you're in that situation, when you are in that that place of where these levels of high strangeness are it changes everything and one of the things i will categorically state for the record is that it is certainly not the beams from the orfordness lighthouse that's now decommissioned but i can assure you if your good and wonderful well-trained american troops were chasing nothing less than the beams to an orfordness lighthouse god help them and god help us so that was not what it was let me tell you now 
I've heard I've heard John Burroughs on Art Bell. I've heard his okay. statement, and I think I heard Jim Penniston as well. I think they both did Art Bell back in 2015 about the Rendlesham Anderson, and I'm I've always been perplexed by it, like because it seemed like they were they were getting some kind of message. Uh, he oh, touched yes. the craft. I mean, yes. is that all? Was that all like verifiable? Do you think, or like, what did you guys uncover? Well, the thing is, these binary codes, I absolutely, totally believe Jim Penniston um, and John Burroughs. Um, but you'll find that the phenomena, when it starts to activate, it will integrate within the individuals on varied levels of, of connection. So one person will see one thing and another will see another. It seems to distort our sense of reality. Now, Jim Penniston did touch the skin of the craft that he came across, and he had what they call binary download. And he actually uh, literally wrote these all down in a little book. Um, and of course, Brenda also received some binary downloads as well, too. So, you know, in terms of these binary connections, I think that whatever the phenomena was, whatever the force behind it was, was trying to convey some kind of message. It seems interesting that it was, uh, you know, it happened in such a, you know, a location that's so distant from here, because, you know, Rendlesham is quite large. But it's interesting how it connected with the military troops and how maybe the phenomena wanted to change their lives on some level. Now, Colonel Charles Holt, who with his men had seen what this object dripping like molten stuff onto the floor. And Brenda Butler, who got involved with all of this research soon afterwards, had um, got some of the material that had dried up of this, this, and I'd actually held it, the residue from this craft that Colonel Charles Holt had seen with his men before it exploded and split off and then started you know, firing beams down on the weapons storage facility unit. But I've actually held the residue of that, and it's very light, like a honeycomb thing, very light, all multicolored, and it's, and it's all, you can't cut it. So the material is very, very hard. You can't, they, it's been sent off for analysis. Brenda had them sent off, and, um, but she's very wary of people having access to any of her stuff, because of course, you know, within ufology, if you have it, it's going to be nicked. <laughs> it's going to disappear somewhere. But I think in the field that, you know, what Colonel Charles Holt experienced, what Jim Penniston experienced, what John Burroughs experienced, and most of Colonel Charles Holt men did actually occur. There are some um, people who are involved who I, I wouldn't trust with regards to their testimony, I'm afraid, um, you know, but certainly these men had. And of course, Jim Penniston believes that it was some kind of time machine, which is quite interesting, um, because he then want, went on to write a book called The Rendlesham Enigma. And um, Gary Osborne co-authored that book with him. So you'll find that each of those that were involved in this experience had their own ideas about what was going on. I think this is important because it's a multi it's a multi witness testimony and it's oh, all yes. military people. Yes, you know, absolutely. one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, you said that the craft took off and it started putting stuff down onto the weapons facility. What happened? Like, what I, I didn't hear, I don't remember that part. Like, yes. did they witness this? Yes, they did. Yes, they did indeed. And of course, what happened was the initial um, object itself split into three pieces. It fired off into three pieces. And one of these objects came over to the weapons storage uh, facility of Rendlesham or, you know, um, and started firing beams down on the weapons storage facility unit. And this caused a lot of alarm. And, of course, this would have invoked national security on a major level. I mean, it doesn't end there. I mean, you know, with regards to um, the troops that were involved in this, the, um, the Office of Special Investigations came in soon afterwards to obviously debrief or talk to those that were involved in this and try to silence them. And of course, we have the famous Holt memo uh, that is not complete, although he wrote most of it. It wasn't the complete memo because he wasn't able to get all of his information down on that sheet of paper. Um, so there's you'll find a lot of contradicting data, and that is only because a lot of those in higher places did not want the public to know about this. Um, and I do know that Brenda got involved with a lot of very influential people um, 
with regards to her investigations. And I know that Dot, Brenda and um, Jenny Randalls had found a lot of problems getting their book out to the public when the publishers, Neville Spearman Limited, brought the book out. So they found incredible, um, you know, oppression with regards to them talking about the events. And their book was very uh, matter-of-factly. It was very scientific to a degree, um, whereas this next book is more to do with the event, the events that occurred before and afterwards with regards to UFO and uh, paranormal activity. But I will say to you what's interesting, the area itself, um, you know, Rendlesham, is odd. And this is what prompts us to try and find out whether or not there are nests or high levels of activity in certain geographical locations around the world, which promotes uh, such phenomena to occur. Skinwalker Ranch is one of them. <clears throat> in Utah, that's the most famous, one of the most famous places that's been placed firmly on the map. Um, you have Bempton here in England that Paul Sinclair, a brilliant, amazing researcher and author, is investigating um, not just the UFO or paranormal activity, but also the dogman that's been witnessed over here by many people here in England. And of course, that's just the start of it. So I think that, uh, you know, when we look at certain areas of where classic UFO events have occurred, it's to do with the geographical location. Paul Sinclair always says location is the key. What is it about the place that promotes these levels of high strangeness? And I think that when we, as the you know innocent by bypassers or researchers, go into these nests, perhaps our consciousness is activated through this force. It seems to know that you're there, and then it's like, you here we go. You know, it's possible, but. Um, very interesting. So, and it doesn't end there with regards to Sky Crash. I mean, Brenda Butler let me have information also towards this very strange man, or shall I say reptilian, and people will roll their eyes up and laugh, but called David Daniels. But let me tell you, although this David Daniels that was a reptilian and harbored incredible um, powers, as it were, uh, you know, although he had no interest in the Rendlesham case whatsoever, it's interesting that he rocked up in 1984. And just when... Um, Brenda Butler's and Dot Street's and Jenny Randall's book came out. Now, this so-called reptilian also infiltrated top members within the UFO departments of study. Jenny Randall's, um, Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens, he went to America to meet him there as Father Daniels. Don't ask me how he they got in there as a father, but he did. He could read minds, this David Daniels. He even met Ralph Noyes, who was part of the Ministry of Defense, very high up. Um, and when David Daniels went to go and meet, meet Ralph Noyes, David Daniels uh, manifested three huge UFOs in a triangular formation in the sky within London. And then on top of that, Brenda Butler and David, because she befriended David, she didn't know what his mission was. It was very strange. But they went to go and see Lord Admiral Hill Norton, Lord of the Fleet, and had a meeting with him and sitting there at the desk in this David Daniels telling the Lord that his people from his star system needed help. And Brenda's sitting there looking at them both. And Lord Admiral Hill Norton is having a conversation with him about aliens and off-world intelligence. This is as though it's nothing. So it was very bizarre. And you'll find that when these occurrences happen, when people are involved in these multi-complex cases, it does come with these extraordinary synchronicities. And I will say to you that this reptilian man, long before I met Brenda Butler, long before I did my research, my own research, I'm allowed to say in Rendlesham, we think that we had met this David Daniels who went to the name of Joseph. And he was in the location of Suffolk in Rendlesham because I'd gone there with the UFO group to do a sky watch in Rendlesham. And he was there waiting for me, Ronnie and Susan. We couldn't get rid of him. So he, his characteristics match the David Daniels that Brenda are, are connected with years before. So who knows, Robert? It's, it's bizarre. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, and I don't want to give too much of the book away, but I just wanted to ask about, um, we've been going about 40 minutes. We have another 20 minutes. I just wanted to ask about like some of the things that happened before and after the Rendlesham event to Brenda Butler or yourself that like the paranormal stuff that kind of tie into the event or, um, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the ufology stuff, if, that, if we can yes. talk Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, lights had been seen in and around of the, the area of the forest. There is the tumuli, ancient tombs. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes um, 
we wonder whether or not you know this phenomena this force is always attracted to certain ley lines not just geographical locations but also areas of graveyards <laughs> and you know and i have addressed this with regards to um what we call the dead back in 1996 in an article called spirits in the material world with regards to the grazing the abduction phenomena as i said you know i'm highlighting several key points that we're all interested in today um <clears throat> But there was a lot of light phenomena occurring there. And also, I experienced firsthand with Brenda Butler, she would say to me that, you know, you'd get these stones falling down from the sky, hot stones. And, you know, most people will say, oh, you know, I don't believe it. But let me tell you, when you are out there and you're walking with her, a beautiful day in daylight, clear blue sky, no trees around us at all, you know, because, you know, there are areas where there's no trees. And then you hear these plonks. And another plonk, and another plonk, and they are stones. And one came in front of us, and Brenda said to me, oh, I said, my goodness me, look at that. She said, go and pick it up. You'll find it's hot. So I went to go and pick it up, and it was hot. It was hot, which to me suggests that there is some kind of paranormal activity where these objects are apported coming through the ether on some level. And of course, that heat would be the perhaps the amalgamation of the separate energies from its realm into our realm and you know this phenomenon has been occurring for a very very long time uh, black cats have been seen they're big black cats um huge beings that people call like the uh, sasquatch i suppose on rare occasions have been seen monks dead monks walking through there i mean it's just absolutely bizarre i mean you know our research is tied primarily to the ufo phenomena the abduction phenomena the grays and so on and so forth and now linking strangely and quite interestingly to the dogman and the sasquatch for some unknown reasons but i think it seems this uh, phenomena seems to get you and grab you um but yeah and i i think that is the way that seeing it with regards to the phenomena at hand yeah, it's interesting, right? I, and, Sorry, and, and, uh, is that you, Robert? Yeah, no, no, that's not me. I, I can wait. Sorry, Robert. That's okay. I don't know who that is. Um, but what I was going to say was, it's very strange, like how um the paranormal stuff connects to the alien stuff, and I feel like it, it, it definitely does. Like, do you feel like it's all connection connected on a? interdimensional level and uh and on top of that like so this rendlesham area really is a paranormal hotspot for all different kinds of activity huh uh, robert just a moment someone okay. is on the skype and i don't understand just bear with me one moment robert they've stopped did you did you hear that yeah i did can you cut that out i don't know who on earth was trying to contact me um, it didn't even come up. Um, yeah, I'll edit so it out before I post Okay, it, I'm sorry. I, I am so sorry. That was so rude. They would know that I wouldn't answer, but I'm not on Skype. I'm on this this thing here anyway. Sorry, we'll carry on. I do apologize. I don't know what on earth was going on there. I haven't done anything. Someone's just trying to contact me, but um, but never mind. Uh, that's okay. I think that that happens a lot on these shows, you know, like um, it, it could be the aliens. It could be the government. Who knows? Right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to disrupt it. They wouldn't give up, would they? Right. Okay. We'll carry on. Sorry about that, Robert. So, so, so what you guys have found out is that this Rendlesham forest is a, is basically a paranormal hotspot for all different kinds of activity. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And we find this with it with, uh, as I said before, in many other areas, if you go to Skinwalker Ranch, not that we can go there. But if we look at that, we understand that not only do they have a lot of UFO activity and aliens that have been seen, but also the dogmen, um, you know, Sasquatch, they've had discarnate voices coming through strange orbs starting to link through in different colors. I mean, th this is basically uh, a hive of activity. Now, what's interesting is the fact that this is all based on a curse called the skinwalker from certain, you know, uh, Indians of that time that put a curse on the land. And, you know, we have to then speculate as to whether or not the, you know, the curse itself has manifested or opened something, a portal, perhaps, to the very, uh, you know, for the, to those very dimensions that they've allowed to, to be opened. So we, we have to try and work out whether or not this is something that has been instigated through a human thought 
that, al that has allowed this gateway of reality to open? Or is it something that it has always been there, but needs someone to activate that opening? So we, there's, there's either two ways of looking at this. And it's very interesting, Robert, when, you know, we're trying to, to work out, you know, what's going on. I, I, would, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, uh, you know, there is a combination of the two, that this is why back in the day, the churches were so adamant about containing human consciousness, subjugating human consciousness. I mean, you know, if someone sneezed the wrong way, they were a witch and burnt. So you can see this indoctrination also through the religious um, connections of how they wanted to control and contain human consciousness, because perhaps they could see this as a way for people to open up to these other realms. Um, rather like your mobile phone network system being able to have access to anywhere in the world if you allowed it. But you choose only those few connection links that you have. Do you see what I mean? Yes. So I think it's I think that this is primarily um, the, with regards to how we are looking at the phenomena, there are several aspects that we need to examine and explore, even though some people may find that very uncomfortable in terms of like, well, I believe in this and I believe in that and I'm not going to change my belief system. But we have to understand that human consciousness has evolved and changed through the course of time as to has the phenomena. It has evolved and changed through the course of time. And if we do find that perhaps that we ourselves are the instigators of this manufacturing of reality that then can come back in into our level of reality, because we were imagined, we were created on some level, I believe that, not just by accident, then this is a whole different ball game. But, you know, because there are some people who want to believe that they're the space brothers, that they have our good intentions, they come from a physical planet, I'm not doubting that. But then you have the others that are, you know, looking at the interdimensional hypothesis and trying to use the mind here consciousness to work out just what's going on. So I think it's very interesting and important to, you know, look at varied models or structures of, of where we're at. So, but again, it's so multi-complexed. You have the aliens, you have the UFOs, what we call the UFOs, you have the, the cattle situation, um, we can't mention the other word, not on here. Um, you have the orbs. Um, you have the the dogs, the wolves, the dogmen, the Sasquatch. You know, but again, my argument has always been, where are they? They they come in and then they go out. So I believe that perhaps that we have to look into an ultra-terrestrial or interdimensional hypothesis. Most people believe that, you know, they're earth dwellers, that they're in the earth itself. Well, you know, if that's the case, why haven't we found them yet? Or if, you know, perhaps there are establishments of power that make sure that those areas are cordoned off from the public, but someone would grab one somewhere, someone would have something of them. So I believe that, you know, with regards to all these high levels of strangeness, um, it is frustrating trying to put the dots together. But, you know, as I said, there's a lot of remarkable researchers out there doing or trying to do just that. But I believe that consciousness, our consciousness, has a lot to do with it. Literally, I do. I, 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 would, I totally agree. I agree. Um, one thing that we, we didn't get into that much and that I wanted to cover was you. Uh, this is the last question I have. You actually were able to somewhat summon a UFO. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? You might have brushed on it a little bit, but like what happened with that? How did you do that? Well, when we decided to go to make another visit to Rendlesham through our years of research there, we did the experiment at home, a psychic experiment. We sat in a circle in the cover of darkness, and so we asked for this intelligence at Rendlesham to show itself to us. We wanted to see them. We would take no photographic equipment. We would take nothing because, you know, people say, oh, I want proof. Well, even if I had a piece, not that I have, a piece of the Roswell, you know, ship, and I said, I've got it here. No one's going to believe you. Even if it goes into a laboratory, they're going to be like, no. So where where do we, you know, where do we find, where do we stop in terms of where we want proof? With this, as Paul Sinclair says, it leaves no proof. <laughs> it leaves no evidence. So we, we sat there and we sent our intentions out, didn't know if we were heard or anything. And then a week later we went, which was the 8th of June, 1998. We went to the forest 
we went to our normal place, which is just outside Capel Green, which is a great big, huge field that belongs to a farmer under the cover of darkness. It's a beautiful blue sky. Uh, and then it became dark, so it was clear in the stars and the full moon. And we went into part of the field that was dirt and the other part was crop. And we sat in a circle and then we meditated again. This is just before 10 o'clock. And then we opened our eyes and uh, we got up. And then we saw something strange about seven minutes past 10, I believe it was. There was this red light that was coming way off from the farmer's uh, house. We thought he got into a car and was ready to come out and get us. But as we started to retreat back to the edge of the forest, the border of the forest, we saw that this red light was red. There was only one and car lights aren't red. And it started to move very quickly towards us and then shot across to the other part of the, the, the field that was full of crop. And we thought, wow, that was amazing. But then as we stood there at exactly quarter past 10 at night, this, there was this flash of light over these trees in the distance and this huge object. We had our binoculars, huge object that was a shape that was like a pyramid and a gap in a circular undercarriage. The undercarriage had a bank of blue lights. It was separated, but the top half was moving one way. The bottom half was moving the other. It was uh, it didn't make any sound. There was light coming from within the primary source of the pyramid shaped thing. And that was it. I was off running towards it, shouting back, tell me that I'm seeing a pyramid, tell me it has a cylindrical undercarriage. And the reason why I'm calling back to them as I'm running through the crop and my jeans started to become soaked was to confirm that what I was seeing was the same as what they were seeing. As I started to run closer and closer, it was huge. I got closer to it, looked up. And then when I came under it, I slipped. And as soon as I slipped, it went gone. Just, just like someone turned out the lights, it had gone. And I tripped and took in a lot of dirt in my mouth, spat it out, and then started to, to cry and then laugh because I thought no one on earth would believe us. But what was strange was that um, I, we wrote the full account. I got in touch with a UFO magazine the very next day, and I spoke to an editor who I couldn't pronounce his name, something like Breams Forbes, and he said, send all the information to me and I'll send them to, to Peter Robbins. Well, he didn't know that I didn't know did, he didn't know that I knew Peter or had met Peter Robbins. He didn't know. So we thought, okay, we'll send the information. So we each drew all of the stuff that happened separately, made the reports, put them in the package, sent it to the magazine and heard nothing. And I can't remember how long it was, uh, maybe a month, maybe a little bit longer. I phoned them up and said, oh, I haven't heard from Bream Forbes. And they said, we don't have an editor by that name. And I was like, well, I'm, you know, and there's no conspiracy to be had. But what I'm saying is that, as God is my witness, every time that man tried to tell me his name, I couldn't spell it. When I first spoke to him, when I contacted, I couldn't spell his name. I'm a good, I'm a good writer and a good speller. I write and spell, so I couldn't get his name down. I kept saying it's Bream Forbes, Bream Forbes. How do you spell Bream Forbes? F O R B E S. I don't know. He wasn't clear. Now, so someone somewhere has got the information. <laughs> I'd like it back, and also. There was another incident where I was talking to another ufologist who is now deceased many, many long years ago, who'd written a very dark book on UFOs. He was phoning me from a phone box and I was try trying to console him um, in every way that I could. This is when we used the landlines. And every time he tried to tell me his address, I just couldn't write down the address. I could not write the address down. For some reason, it was like really weird. I guess like the feeling that Jim Penniston had when he started to write the, the drawings and the diagrams, and then he started to become slurred and found it difficult to bring the information out. Um, it was incredible. Um, so yes, that, that is what primarily happened. The UFO was seen and it was summoned. And if people don't believe that, that's their issue, their problem. But I can tell you now, it certainly put a, small part to the puzzle together for me with regards to my research you know so yeah interesting so yeah that is that's fascinating i mean that, oh, yeah, that's, it happened, uh, yeah. it's it's amazing i i i don't even know what to say like i'm so i i'm it's wow it's 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 uh it's, wow it's uh this phenomenon never ceases to amaze me like what it does but i'm so happy that you're bringing this information forward philip like i think it's very important and, and especially for the time that we're in like that books like this come out that the information like this comes out because now I, I i love the fact that you're coming from the angle that you're coming from this book that rendlesham's not just a place where a ufo event happened no. this is a paranormal hotspot that needs investigating right that's right 
Absolutely. And, you know, I I mean, that was some long time ago. I mean, I was <laughs> I think about 30s then. I, I'm, I'm a lot older now, but uh, I don't think I could run as fast as I did then. <laughs> I was like, I felt a bit like Mulder being out there, you know, but um, I've certainly got a lot older. But it is it's interesting and it has been documented. I documented exactly, exactly the next day. Um, it reported the incident the next day, so it's fresh within our minds. But of course, uh, the information went walkies. But as I said, you know, I look back at that, and it's touched our lives in a way that cannot be explained. Um, it's changed the way I view reality. It's given me hope also that you know, uh, m most people make us believe that we're automatons with a cell by date, biological creatures. I don't believe that. I think there's more to us and more to the space around us. Uh, more to our existence and creation than than we've been told. I think we've been sold a really stuffy story that doesn't fit. Uh, and I think now a lot of people are becoming wise to the fact that, you know, they're, they're much cleverer. They can understand that we are much more than just biological automatons with a cell by date, that we have consciousness, we have essence, and there is a bigger universe out there, much bigger than we can be made aware of. I can assure you of that. I agree. Well, um, can you tell everybody where they can find the book? And I'll put links in the description and, uh, and your website. And thank you so much for doing this, Philip. This was amazing. Well, thank you very much, Robert, for having me on board. And yes, you can get me and my brother on www.thekinsellatwins.com. That's the website, thekinsellatwins.com, www. And my books are on Amazon, available on Amazon. Um, the other books, UFO books and stuff, are out of print now from other publishers from years ago. Um, but um, the new ones are You, the Public Deceived, The Grand UFO Deception, A Passage to Eternity, The Enigma of the Dead UFOs and Aliens, and also Sky Crash Throughout Time. Um, which deals with the strange activity that's been occurring out there, all available on Amazon as hardback, paperback, Kindle, and audio, I believe. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, thank you. And I, I look forward to talking to you again. Maybe when you do your next book, we can do another show. That is wonderful. And thank you so much, Robert. It's been wonderful to come on your amazing show. I'm really grateful. Awesome. Well, I'll talk to you soon. And uh, thank you. Have a, have a nice